Good morning, afternoon or evening. Welcome once again to 1459. No matter the moment, no matter the place, whatever you're listening from, whether the sun is shining or rain is pouring down, whether you're traveling or at home, we start up the engine of the DeLorean and we set sail to Calgary, Canada, as Siri is already wondering. What I'm wondering today, what are the odds that something becomes possible? Although it is just a recurring dream. Here we go. As I was saying, we have arrived on the DeLorean to February 27th, 1988 and we have landed in Calgary, Canada. Four men have gone in just a few days from total strangers to have the entire US sports press all over them. They just want to represent their country in the Winter Olympics. The fact is, they represent a Caribbean island where there has never been any snow, they have never practiced the sport before, and the team has completed just days before the competition. Luckily, none of these conditions would stop them. Today, we tell the story of the incredible Jamaican bobsleigh team. In order to do it, we have to go back five months farther in time. Yep, as you're hearing it, it all happened within five months. The idea is born, of course, in a pub in Kingston, Jamaica's capital. There, a US businessman, George Fitch, comments with a new friend about an eccentricity he's had in his head for a while. To create a Jamaican bobsleigh team to compete at the upcoming Winter Olympics. Due to his work, he was staying in Jamaica for long periods of time, and then he saw something that caught his attention. The Pushcar Derby rudimentary vehicles made with wheels, cardboard and painted wood, generally used for selling food in the street. In this case, they were prepared with a wheel and ready for two people. One of them takes care of the direction, the other one pushes to get maximum speed. As it was similar to Bostick and there were great athlete tradition in Jamaica, he was convinced. However, the idea appealed to nobody. No matter how many ads he put on the press or how many posters there were around the city, no athletes showed any interest in participating. Maybe it's because the word bobsleigh were nowhere to be found in the Jamaican dictionary, or that people usually associated Olympic Games to large audiences and tracks within stadiums, no ice and snow sports. With no athletes nor volunteers, he turned to the solution mainly used by other bobsleigh teams all over the world the military. As in most situations in life, finding the right contact can take you to succeed. And so it happened. Colonel Ken Barnes from the Jamaican Defense Force knew the sport and was able to gather over 40 candidates. Several physical tests were made, such as sprints and jumps, crucial to measure speed and strength, the two main keys in bobsleigh. Assisted by US experts, they turned off the lights of the venue and showed a very stunning video of what was Popsley, including falls and crashes, to the Top Gun soundtrack in order to create a bigger emotion, 
When they turned on the lights in the venue, they realized most of the people had gone. Nevertheless, the few brave enough to remain till the end would be the ones called to make history. In order to prepare accordingly, they left Jamaica and went to Lake Placid, a small 2,000-people town in the north of New York. First thing they did was to get accustomed to running on ice. After that, they moved to Calgary to be able to train in the same facilities where the competition would take place. Despite the warm welcoming, they found a lot of obstacles in the way. They didn't have a sled and they could not afford one. Captain Dudley Stokes, used to pilot helicopters, was the first one able to experiment how it was to go on a bobsleigh run with a land sled. Something he has been dreaming for the past 20 years. It was just after finishing the first run that he knew this is what he was looking for in his life for so long. Out of that one time, they couldn't do much more training in Calgary. The Canadian team, almost monopolizing the training time on the track, they wouldn't want to give any advantage to teams like the Jamaican, that weren't doing that bad considering only it was their second month in the sport. Before creating any animosities, the Islanders went on a trip again, this time to Innsbruck, in Austria. They were almost out of money, so they turned to selling posters and t-shirts designed by George Swive. They made 500, and just in the first weekend, they sold 300 of them, including 50 purchased by Albert II, Prince of Monaco, a huge enthusiast of the winter sports. Thanks to selling these t-shirts, they could afford eating. They also moved around for training in a minivan due to Sepp Heidacker, old bobsleigh runner back in the day and current customs agent, who empathized with them and let them for free. Living in Austria would bring several stories. For example, Freddy thought that there were a lot of robberies in Austria as every car had chains on the wheels. He would not understand that the cars required them to be able to drive on the snow. Later, Freddy would stop being part of the competition team and would switch to be the merchandising guy for the team. Another team member, Samuel Clayton, was losing focus and caring more for the stunts rather than training with the team it was obvious that they would need more people. The team returned to Jamaica during Christmas. With their morale through the roof, they would return again after holidays to Lake Placid, and this time they could properly train there. In that moment, the bobsleigh track at Lake Placid was one of the scariest for beginners. It was a long track designed for all vehicles, not for the ones made in 1988, that could reach up to 150 km per hour. It was a track where sleds could overturn and even get back on track without slowing down. In the first try, the whole team made together. The sled was very bad quality and in the last turn, at 130 km per hour, the chassis broke. The four of them would not be able to train again until the competition. They were getting lots of affection from everywhere, nevertheless. From the locals, the sports fans and other participating teams. However, the International Olympic Committee, just some weeks ahead from the competition, sent out a statement in which they would not allow Jamaica to participate in the event, despite they fulfill all the requirements. Finally, Albert II, Prince of Monaco again, interceded. And he was also a participant in the Winter Olympics due to his reputation and the first 50 t-shirts he purchased 
he helped the Jamaican team and the, he finally got Jamaica to be able to participate. The team finally arrived at Calgary to participate in the Winter Olympics. The Jamaican chosen ones to write a page in history would be Dudley Stokes as captain, with Michael White, Devon Harris and Caswell Allen. Freddie Powell would accompany them for the merchandising. When they arrived at Canada, they found out that the t-shirts were not being sold by the unit, they were being sold by boxes. The popularity of the team grew larger than they could thought. Another factor to keep in mind was that the American press, responsible for the great popularity of the Jamaican team, because US hockey team had been eliminated from the competition, the American media found themselves out of content, therefore they redirected all their efforts to offer their audience something new, exciting, different, and that could have them on the edge of their seat. Nothing better than an inexperienced team participating along with the great sport legends one-on-one. -on -one. All of this, as we are missing a crucial point in the history, the Jamaican team did not have a sled to participate. Not yet. The team could not afford the 25,000 Canadian dollars that the sled owners were asking for. So, as they could not reach that quantity even selling all their t-shirts, they went on organizing a large party in the Orestes Path. It was a massive hit. People were waiting in lines to enter the venue. The Jamaican team started singing covers of classic songs to get the attention, each time being more applauded by the audience. The next day, they had $25,000 required to purchase the sled. Five days from the debut, Alan, the fourth member of the team, was injured. He would not be able to participate. Powell had already stepped down and was just the public relations and merchandise person of the team. Without second thoughts, Dudley Stokes called his brother Chris, who regardless of being a great athlete, he had never used a bobstick sled. Chris arrives at Calgary as the star who was going to save the outstanding team, despite his inexperience. Every team would train with padding and protection except the Jamaican ones. They would learn after all the bruises in their first run that they would need to protect themselves. That's why they spent 30 minutes padding themselves everywhere before the next run. Competition day had arrived. There would be four runs for them, two on the first day, two on the second day. The first run was a complete mess. The pushing bar to move the sled forward broke while accelerating. It's inexplicable how Dudley aimed to get on the sled in motion. Even that way, they finished third to last. During the second round, they had several problems after the initial acceleration, to the point that within getting into the first turn, the whole team was not seated on the sled. They were second to last, and there would be two more runs. It was the next day on the third run when they would make history. Dudley Stokes just found out their coach left and he had injured his left shoulder. Nevertheless, he didn't want to discourage the team, so he kept it for himself. The team was at its loneliest, even being at the pinnacle of fame. 
The team started the third race very much motivated and they made the seventh fastest start in the competition. Even faster than in any other training or race up to the moment. When they were at 135 km per hour on the track, they lost control of the sled in the Chrysler turn and overturned. Dudley's head struck the track side heavily, as the sled was moving still uncontrolled through the track. Five turns later, in the braking stretch, it was stopped. Luckily, everyone was okay. The team, already out of the sled and being applauded by the audience, finished the third race walking over the finish line, dragging the sled and waving around, while receiving the biggest of ovations. They were not allowed to participate in the fourth run and were disqualified, but they had written the biggest story of the Winter Olympics. The team would return for future competitions. To this day, to this day, Jamaica's bobsleigh team is a reference and has competed in other six Winter Olympic editions. Fourteen fifty nine is a podcast for discovering certain events and people through history, preventing them to be forgotten. Although you are listening to the English version, there is a version in Spanish of this same episode that you can find in Podbean or in any of the major social networks. Every week there will be a new episode, as well as an archive with all the previous episodes for free. Thank you for your time and for listening to 1459 Podcast. I have composed and produced all the music in the background, specifically for this podcast in order to be properly set. This has been Recurring Dream. Next week, we will travel to Paris. Until then, be good. Thank you.